the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 260 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you'd find over at MMAJunkie.com, but on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully it's before the fight, as I'm recording this on West Coast-specific time, as I like to say, Pacific time, because uh, I am, of course, here in Las Vegas, where UFC 260 is going down. That is the card we will be breaking down, of course. Check the timestamps for when that starts from top to bottom, as I always provide them to you in the show notes. Thank you for the five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there or any of the podcast players, or if you're listening to the audio version on YouTube, give the video a like and subscribe to my channel, Daniel Tom MMA. It helps. And of course, the show notes there will also provide said timestamps if you want to jump ahead, an invitation I always allow you to do and never hold you hostage for the uh, recap that usually happens in the beginning, which will happen, or the occasional notes, um, which did happen last week, and, and you know, God forbid I will, uh, you know, Shout out uh, empathy for human <laughs> human lives every once in a while. But if you don't want any of that stuff, of course, again, I, I give you guys the invitation every week. So I don't for anybody getting upset, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to briefly and push on to the more positive and pertinent things. Um, folks, I don't hold you hostage. You don't got to listen to the show. And if you do, you can go right to the breakdown. In fact, and I'm not throwing shade at other shows who only do parts of these. And as I am one of the only shows, much less with one host that does all these for you. I also give you guys the option to skip to the very F and N to go from top to bottom where I just recap the picks and plays. Like, you barely got to listen to me. So, again, folks, um, I don't know why I got to keep apologizing or explaining uh, when, you know, you, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here doing the work giving you guys the options. Uh, but either way, not trying to start on that note because I'm super grateful. And before I touch on literally like the one negative comment from last week because... Most of y'all are human beings. I feel like I've curated this audience as so, which is great. Thank you all from multiple different countries, sexes, religions, sides of the political spectrums, which I could care less about. It didn't matter. You guys were human beings, and and uh, I appreciate the kind words you shared with me on the old Twitter uh, at Dan Tom MMA, where I'm most active in posting all of my content. If you've just been familiar with me through the audio medium, medium, medium. Um, so yeah, that's the outline of today's show. We're going to do a quick recap, expedited edition, check the notes, or you can check the time right now to see if I'm lying or not. And uh, yeah, it's only gonna, I'm only going to try to keep this like just a quick five on um, recapping from last week up until the relevance of now uh, on those previous notes. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's kind of the outline for today's show, folks. So thank you again, even though it's my... Uh, first inclination to apologize for the opening the hashtag stop asian hate opening of last show um but i, I believe sadly i was proven right as far as why uh, it you know not just asians but people you know with a heart need to use their platform sometimes even just for awareness because 
Ironically enough, um, in a community full of martial artists, people getting bullied and targeting doesn't seem to get garner much empathy. In fact, in a community of martial artists, there's very little empathy to be found from, from fighters to fans, which suck. And in the community of MMA, where most of us make our money from fighters, fans who gamble, or just rely on it as their entertainment, or media people like me, or the promotions themselves. It was like fucking crickets for Stop Asian Hate in comparison to a multitude of any other topics, race-related or not. And it's sad, but even more sad because it's not exactly surprising. And again, you know, oh, Dan, on an Asian thing, you know, fuck me and fuck an Asian thing. Isn't it just ironic? Can we just for a second clear our biases and feelings for a second? How ironic is it? In a community full of martial artists, and a community of people make their money off martial arts, that there's just fucking pretty much crickets, you know? Because um, I was thinking, and I'm tying this up because I, I had one listener who, and I keep my DMs open, which is funny, because guess what, folks? When I say my DMs are open to you, especially for mental health-related issues, I actually mean that, and I talk to quite a few of you listeners on the regular. And some it's just normal conversation, others... It could be deep shit, and I'm going to leave it at that. I will never mention names. I'm never going to light up anybody's stuff, okay? It's always between us, and that invitation is always open because I actually mean it when I care. Not perfect. I definitely not the most timely. I can't guarantee the fastest responses, but I can guarantee I'm going to try. So I just found it ironic that amongst those conversations and those people, very cool people and martial artists, that one listener will just say, and leave it at that, just said that essentially it was unsubscribing from my show after last week because I was getting too political, which is funny because speaking about Asian lives, it's not political. Um, I'm not political. I, I have no, like I said on Twitter to wrap this up, and we're going to push forward to the breakdowns, folks. I'm not going to spend as only like five here, if, if that. But I do a good job as far as for just a single co-host and doing recaps, which not everybody does keeping a format, which not everybody does, going through every fight, which not everybody does, and then recapping at the very end from top to bottom, which almost nobody does. And I do it solo consistently for years. Do the work for you. Allow you to timestamp, to skip. And I take no offense. I give you that option at every show. So it's just between that to the martial arts thing, it's just so goddamn ironic that like speaking out about things not even nothing to do with politics just innocent people being targeted old people women um, races minorities like I don't know what's so political about that so if you don't want to hear that or me mentioning it literally 2% of the podcasts because I've been really good I know I do my stay on target and I get sidetracked during the breakdowns but as far as like talking about personal shit I've cut that way down I did a bunch at the beginning of the pandemic because again no one was talking about mental health and uh, guess what? Oh, Dan talking about mental health and a- everything I said, sadly, has aged very fucking well over the last year. It's all stuff I wish I was wrong about, by the way. I'm not a Victory Lab guy in general. Definitely not about this. But everything has factually been backed up that I said, first of all. And second of all, it, it, it was needed. Even last week, what I said to that, be you know, for me, whether it's me being Asian or just having a platform, needed to say something because most of the martial arts community didn't, you know? And not trying to throw shade because I could have jumped on that train when, you know, there's two certain hosts who I actually like and respect, um, even though I've only had interactions with one of them. But the other was acute, well, not acute. I mean, he did do very insensitive Asian stuff. 
and it was like a big uproar. And if you notice, even though I probably could have, I did not jump on that train. So for anybody accusing me of being political or looking for any excuse, that would have been all the excuse in the world. But I'm not a, I'm not a hater. I wanted to see all the facts, and I was late to that. And neither here nor there. The fact is, you know, you go to the timeline of both those people or you go to their show not a fucking word about stop asian hate people that make their money off martial arts community just like me or just like the ufc which i was actually and i don't even know if i'm gonna i don't know how to do it or if i want to because i'm, I'm honestly just been so overwhelmed emotionally from this last week and the fact that i god forbid speak up for my people that people just the shit that i get in return for it which again it's been nine to one positive so i'm not gonna complain or over dramatize that fact but yeah, I'm kind of burnt out. But part of me, my initial intention was actually to, to ask the UFC and not like gaslight them, like, you know, use it as an excuse to dunk on the UFC. Like, no, I, I want to be heard. I want to get things done. I want, I want positive. I'm not trying to call the UFC out, but not just, you know, it, I figured with all their, you know, everybody criticized the UFC for making connections with Bruce Lee every few years, which feels like they're just jerking off the Lee estate, to be frankly honest. Um, and there's nothing wrong with drawing those connections or questioning those connections um, and the old kind of arguable overreach to connect Bruce Lee to the UFC. But if we are going to connect Bruce Lee to the UFC so regularly, why can't we give love to Asians? Or, or is it only Asians that make us money? You know? Because when I looked, you know, and I know they, just because they do, you know, a black heritage or... Latino Heritage Month, it doesn't mean they're doing a great job at it. You know, see Michael Chandler piece, right? And that's not a shot at Michael Chandler, but that's just, that was very, you know, that was that was, dis that was distasteful from the UFC. And I feel like they admitted it in their own way by going and putting out another piece quickly. Um, but they've also done stuff for, for, for Latin, you know, uh, history and Latin fighters, which is great, albeit, you know, you can also tie that to their investing into the, you know, Latin markets and Mexican markets around the Fox era. Either way, however they got there, they're doing it. Good on them. I'm not trying to shit on the UFC, but to kind of put my point forward is that you know what came up when I typed in Asian heritage or Asian pieces for UFC? Zero. Zero. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of... Isn't that ironic? And I even reached out and I, uh, you know, to some Asian-American UFC fighters... And or Asian uh, the, the fighters that aren't even in the UFC now. Um, and I'll I'll leave that private. But one of them got back to me, and they weren't saying anything bad about the UFC. They appreciate the UFC's platform they gave them, but they said no. I was never never approached, nor am I aware that they ever did anything for Asians. Martial arts company in Asia. Oh, they're investing in the P. Like there's a lot of politics there, folks. It's real dirty. Um, when you get to China and stuff like that, it's it's again, it's the government, not the people. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know, and it's it's it, it sucks. So that is Asian uh, American Pacific Islander Heritage Month for at least in my country is May. So with UFC being an American company based on martial arts, let's see if they do anything this year for us. Would be nice. Would be helpful. Because, you know, rather than me, you know, talking to my couple hundred listeners and turning away a few at a time every time I bring up this, um, it would certainly be much better just for a, a, a big platform to put a positive message out there. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and we're going to push on. This is going to be a fun place. Uh, 
where we break down fights, and uh, I just wanted to continue off with that. And if you guys, you know, again, if that offends you, that's fine. And like I said to that person, I, I guess what? I'm still going to wish you the best at the end of the day. But don't shame me. Or even if you're not trying to shame me, don't label this as politics. Just say you don't fucking care because this has nothing to do with politics and I could give a shit about politics. So saying that this, you have a problem with it because of politics, just say you don't fucking care. Uh, but I'm going to move on. All right. USC Vegas 22 recap. Four and six overall picks. Terrible. Again, I warned you. It was, it was all in the void. I, uh, you know, between all the fallouts and the the craziness of the week, uh, which I don't have to get back into. It was not, you know, I, I warned you guys. Um, 0-1-1 in official plays, and I think I went like 0-4 in like what I ended up taking for bias stabs and all that stuff. Uh, it was headlined by, of course, uh, Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. Uh, Derek Brunson defeats him by unanimous decision. I should have known this. is one of those things, again, where I lay out the path for the winner. And uh, it's just the, the odd, I call out the odds that don't make sense, and then I still pick the dude. You know, like, I just, uh, you know, oh, my gosh. And that, that had the fingerprints all over it with the line split. Like, I, that was, you know. And thankfully, I didn't play Holland, but I just feel dumb for, for picking him. Uh, because I know better. You know Danny always picks the Southpaw wrestlers, right? The veteran wrestlers. Well, maybe not. We'll, we'll get to that. Max Griffin defeated Song Kanan. Um, people are seeing what I kind of talk about with Max Griffin in his interviews. How he's just kind of like... He's just kind of... He's, 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 he's very lovable, you know. With the, watching his own replay going, boom, pow, oh, man. He says his facial expressions... Um, but yeah, definitely suck for uh, old China, you know, definitely, uh, we're taking L's all over the place. <laughs> well, they, uh, they canceled Thick Willie, which is sad, you know, that's the second time I guess it sucks about breaking down fights late. I don't get to talk about Thick Willie twice in a row, you know, but, um, they paired him up with, uh, what was that? Don Jung. <laughs> like Song Kanong, Max Grimm. like they're just like pairing up all my Asian brothers like against athletic dudes who are just gonna KO them. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyways, but uh, Mon Strat Ruiz defeated Cheyenne Bisbee in end of decision. That was a bias pick for me, and boy was their value. I may or may not have played Ruiz at those dog odds because, like I said, that was stupid value. Um, yep, she was just doing her head and arm thing, which is normal from her. And you could tell Bay's trained for it, but she was, like, skipping a step, and she kept trying to parlay it in the back takes uh, before getting to her base, uh, which kind of pops an escape when you naturally actually can get to your base from those positions. And I feel like she was just getting greedy there. She actually got to escape angles multiple times. But um, live and learn, hopefully, for her. Adrian Yanez defeated Gustavo Lopez, third-round KO. That sucks because Gustavo Lopez, I felt like, was livelier than the odds, and even though it was an admitted bias pick, which automatically should be my excuse for no matter how bad it looks. Um, no, because, A, I actually did like Yanez, and I wasn't discounting him. I was writing about him for most where, you know, <laughs> now I'm going to be just jerking this kid off because he's really good, and I like him a lot, by the way. Nothing against him. I like his personality to his style. But just, you know, again, the, you know, from the MMA betting bias, young striker, he's just, dudes are just going to be unzipping every time his name comes up, and the odds are going to reflect it, sadly. So if you jumped on Yanez at these odds, good on you, because you're probably not going to get that until he faces as a top level. And Lopez, um, sometimes like these wrestlers I, oh, I train with, I'm like, yeah, this guy's a good wrestler, and then they go out and they don't wrestle, and I'm like, god oh, damn it. 
granted there was a lot of counters and reasons for that, but um, yeah, that sucks for my man Gus, but good on Adrian, man. Um, he's very much like, uh, since we don't get to talk about Volkanovski this week either, very much like Volkanovski in the sense that like every feint, everything he's showing has a reason. And not like feint to draw a reaction, but like Volkanovski's, he even feints counters to scare you. Like most people, it's so hard to scare, you have to be such a good counter striker to scare people off with counters in MMA, but to be able to do it and incorporate feints into the, into scaring people off, um, is super impressive and you really got to fucking... You know, know your shit to be teaching someone those lessons in the middle of a fight. And um, Yanez does that. So, one to watch. Tied to Ivasa on the board. Defeated Harry Hunsucker. Not going to make fun of that guy's name because, God, it's already, you know, probably gotten him. It's gotten that poor guy tortured growing up. It's like they're talking about his tattoos. Like, yeah, you're going to have some dark tattoos if your name is Harry Hunsucker, okay? Poor guy. Leave him alone. It says another dude with dark tattoos and grew up troublesome. Uh, Macy Kiesan uh, defeated Marion Renault via unanimous decision. Um, yeah, uh, that a, yeah, that was uh, you know pretty. You know, she's using her physicality, pretty spot on there, I guess. What was predicted? Grant Dawson defeated Leonardo Santos via third round TKO. Boy, that was tough. Um, you know, I guess Grant Dawson didn't need the finish according to the judges and a, and, and a decent amount of Twitter. I think I was on spaces at this time, so I, I wasn't really scoring. Um, although I did want to replay uh, Matthias Nicolau getting knocked out by um, Steel Chopping, Dustin Ortiz from Willow, because everyone points to the head kick, but he actually blocked the head kick, but it went through and got him rocked because he only blocked with one hand. And the finishing shots actually came on the ground because Nicolau, like his Nova Anyao counterpart, Leonardo Santos, they actually go for the same leg entanglement, but they don't put an emphasis probably because they're rocked in Nicolau's case or tired in Santos's case. And they make the mistake and they don't debase their opponent, um, and which is allows a longer opponent from top side to gamble with those top, you know, uh, grounded pound, which can be devastating even if you're not athletic. See Rick Glenn in the WSOF. And Grant Dawson uh, puts Leonardo Santos out. Good on Dawson. It's just one of those things where it's just like, you know, I was wrong. I guess he did get main cards in his early in his career, Leonardo Santos. But, like, the last half of the decade, at least, the guy couldn't make it off the damn prelims. They just kept matching him up with, like, young dudes or just nobody dudes. And it just it just sucks. It was just a bummer for matchmaking. And it made it look like I was sour on a bet by tweeting that. But it had nothing to do with the bet, honestly. It just, it's you know, you guys know me. I, God forbid, have sympathy for, you know, that's who put it in. And, you know, and, and you know, I, I know that there's fucking a long line of people looking to jerk off the next young guy who comes from the sport every fucking week. Like, they don't need me to jerk them off. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to show sympathy for the vet who's been there. I'm sorry. Um, you know, and uh, I actually don't have anything against Grant Dawson. I will, though. I think Zane Simon, um, that bastard, uh, passed something on to me because, uh, shout out to Zane Simon, actually, in the Vivi section where I just quoted that joke from. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think like Zane, like a few, a couple Grant Dawson fights ago, was just like, oh, I don't know what it is about this kid. Like, this is his his style, is his face, which definitely that face. I mean, look at that face. Does he not look like the fucking bully? Like, you're never gonna make the hockey team. You should just quit now. Like, he's totally that guy, right? Um, there's just something about him that makes you want to dislike the kid, and he's like probably like the nicest dude, but he just seems so fucking unlikable for like, you know, someone like me who thinks like, you know, athletes cheating or you know, don't like bullies, even though he's probably like the nicest dude. He just has that face where he looks like he's the bully in the movie. So yeah, 
pouring out for Leo Santos. But, you know, good on Grant Dawson, man. I know I'm joking here, but, man, no hate toward him. Uh, Trevin Giles. Jay Giles defeated Roman Delize. Being an decision, I, I don't have an issue with the decision, and I didn't go back to watch round two, which I'm guessing was the swing round. But again, this is what I get upset about because, uh, like, well, the difference was everyone's like, you know, if you're going to make an argument, like, oh, well, you know, uh, this is what I don't get. Like, if someone wants to grapple, and not only do they get them to the ground, um, but then they get into submission attempts and entanglements. And when the fighter can't escape the submission entanglement properly and starts swinging back, like even ignorant fans like 15, not just 10, like 15 years ago, no, oh, that's a bad sign. That's desperation. That means they don't know how to get out. But now it's like, oh shit, he's swinging back even though he's in a submission. I think we got a fucking even round on our hands. Like when the fuck does that happen? Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Giles hit the leads a very hard with those shots. I'm like, did he? Because they were both on their asses without being able to generate power. Those are just arm punches. Like the Grant Dawson or, you know, the other, even the flyway fight that I cited with the Dustin Ortiz, like those guys completely had their base. That's why they were able to deliver knockout shots. That's why when you go for leg locks, you need to debase people and say what you will you know, about the leg locks costing them. And if that was the case, that's that's fine. I'm not here to live and die on the scorecard. For me, what upsets me is the opinion of the fact that it should be close because of this. Now, if you want to count the damage that Giles did for the brief moments in the feet, I'm actually much more sympathetic to that argument. Because again, I am okay with what the rules say, by the way, that we should be rewarding and prioritizing damage. I'm not against that. I just feel like we're overcorrecting the steering wheel here. Luke just weighed in. I just feel like we're overcorrecting the steering wheel here. And now it's just like to the point. And, and again, it, I'm hearing educated people do this because, and it's not to go out the commentators do a fantastic job. It's a tough job. But when the commentators go, you know, you know, Bisbinger song goes, oh, everybody's swinging back in the submission. And then you got to hear it like fucking echoed by everybody. Like, uh, I was talking to my man, um, by the way, shout out to the Southpaw Podcast at southpawpod, southpawpod.com. I was talking to my man, Sam Yang, like, it's like, he, he put it best, it's like a messed up game of telephone, you know, that goes from the production to the media to the fans, and it's just this echoing, and again, I'm not living and dying on the scorecard, but can we agree that's fucking silly? Like, and like, you want to talk about damage, like, you actually can visibly see, and even the commentators themselves, who... You know, just as much as I can say, you know, um, Bisping can be biased towards strikers and, and grapplers, and it shows in how he, you know, hypothetically rewards those situations. Obviously, he's not a judge. Uh, but at the same time, you know, give credit to Bisping in the commentary because they're also spotted the knee poppings on the replay. Um, so I guarantee you Giles isn't walking right, you know? And that's the dangerous thing about going for leg locks because you give position, you open the scorecards, you open subjectivity to obviously some stupid stupidity. And I'm not saying that to a commentary. I'm talking about the general opinion. Um, and not only that, it's just like you can damage a guy's leg, but like it's one of those things, man. Like people, even with arms and shit, we've seen it. Fighters don't tap. Men and women alike, okay? Like it's in a fight. And that's something like, you know... <laughs> I know I've had that discussion with myself or others, uh, you know, before fights. 
uh, at the amateur level at least is just like even at that level where like where you're not getting paid like these fuckers aren't gonna tap to joint locks so if there were joint lock submissions that I liked or my people on my team liked we were usually talked into okay, stick to more your head and arms your RNCs that's the stuff that's gonna work or you know not you know, guillotine you lose position but you know what I mean like more blood choke kind of deals chokes um, because if they're not gonna tap they're gonna go out at least Whereas leg locks and arm stuff, too, you'd be surprised what people won't tap to. And now then when you don't have, you know, when you have ignorant judges not rewarding that stuff, all of a sudden you got to, you know, again, if you, I'm not going to live and die on the entirety of the round, but most of the round was fought on the ground. And one guy was a grappler that wanted it there. He wanted it there, put it there. He wanted submissions. He put him in submissions. He was attacking submissions for the majority of the time. Um... You know, popping his knee, not getting the tap. But I'm like, so the fact that people, it was just fine if you still want to give it to Giles, but I was seeing like educated people going, that was a clear round for Giles. I haven't rewatched it admittedly, but a clear? For the guy that didn't know how to defend a, defend a, he's supposed to be a black belt, I think, or a brown belt, and he doesn't know how to, how to disentangle legs for a whole round? We're rewarding that now? All right. Montel Jackson defeated Jesse Strader, first round TKO. Bruno Silva defeated JP Baez using all the cheating playbook. Again, folks, this is what, well, what have I been talking about? You know, the, the eye poke thing? Then we see the eye pokes, you know, Herb Dean. And stuff. Oh, Dan Tom's complaint. Well, when Dan Tom complains and rants, Sally, there's a lot of fucking truth to it. And you usually don't have to wait but a fucking week for me to be proven right. So you don't got to like me or what I'm saying. But yeah, surprise, surprise. More stuff from this show gets proven right, so reward to you listeners. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, only now we're finally starting to hear something that Dan Tom's been fucking screaming about for years, which is the official warnings are technically and should be given in the back, and we should just be going straight to fucking points for, um, not for intent, but for damage, right? We're, we're, we're overcorrecting the scoring cards for damage. What about actual damage from fucking fouls? Nope. Just gonna keep chasing our fucking tail here, cause that's MMA, folks. Um, I already shouted this out, pal pod. I want to shout. I hit a little funny mix up, but I do want to give a shout out to my man Derek Love. Round three play. D Love round three. No D Love's round three this week, but um, I haven't said that in a while. And follow him, one of my favorite MMA gamblers, at Master underscore Love 007. 007, Derek, you a you a James Bond fan? That's right, Money Penny. Q. I need something that looks like a penis and works like a flashbang, but cues off of the word blue baddish. Um, Dan, what version of 007 did you watch? And I mixed him up with Dustin Love at D Love, uh, I think underscore 84, uh, Dustin Love Pod there. Uh, go check out his show. Just wanted to give those shouts there. All right, as we go and look at the timestamp here 27 minutes. Wow, Jesus. Uh, we're going to go into UFC 260. All righty. Um, boom, boom, boom. All right, headline by Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou. Two Miocic opened as a plus one ninety dog. Money has come in and brought it somewhat down to earth. Although you can still get Miocic to dog odds, listing at plus one ten for me here. Uh, minus one thirty in your favorite, the challenger Ngannou, to do what he could not do the first time. My in-depth breakdown is up at MMAJunkie.com. I haven't listened to a lot of content on this. I'm trying to keep my filters clean. Um, but I will say one thing I haven't seen is I've seen a lot of talk about 
for people justifying the Ninganu pick, which feels silly because, again, folks, just because I picked someone, let me be clear, just like last week, that doesn't mean I, d- I agree with the odds. I picked Holland, but I wasn't co- confident in it. Um, I'm actually a little more confident. I don't even know. No, not even a little more. Uh, I'm just as reluctant, I should say, as this one. But, uh, again, I'm going with the favorite who probably shouldn't be favored. So, like I stated in the breakdown, folks, I'm not trying to disrespect Stipe. I, I felt like I, I had a whole year of people going, you disrespect Stipe. Like, why? Because I credited him as being the better fighter but said this is heavyweight. And, you know, he gets hit. Jesus Christ. Relax. Um, I like Stipe, even though he's, you know, not the most gracious of a winner <laughs> at the time. It's just like, I was rewatching his footage. I'm like, oh, yeah, like. Pacquiao, he's so passive-aggressive in, like, what should be his happiest moments. I always hate that shit. Like, Adesanya and Stipe are, like, the worst of that. Like, they have these amazing victories, and they're just, like, they just can't, you know, wait to just tell everyone to fuck off, <laughs> which I appreciate. But, like, at the same time, like, you could at least be happy for yourself, no? Um, but, uh, <laughs> I just remember him talking to fucking Joe Rogan. He's like, yeah, yeah, I think I, th- I, think I did it, huh? And Joe's like, y- yeah, you did? What, what? Steve, I'm trying to give you your moment. Why are you being passive-aggressive to me? Um, but, yeah, uh, no, I I don't know why. I I, didn't, I don't always pick against Steve. I, actually, I picked him last time, and uh, I totally forgot. I even called a little bit of a Liddell-Couture dynamic that played out, which it did play out their trilogy. Um, however, people are, I think, justifying the Nagano pick based around that said Cormier trilogy by saying the 311 strikes, significant strikes that he took or whatever, right? And stats are so funny, man. I'm seeing a lot of quoting on stats, but it's like sample size, folks. Fucking sample size. You know, what did we see on the broadcast? We saw a fighter with like four or five UFC fights getting like some credit for like most in divisional history. I'm like, dog, the division that he's in has been around for a decade. This guy's barely had five fights in two years. Um, Should we really be, you know cherry picking stats like that i get they gotta have stuff for production but that's why these people go fucking stat crazy like this guy's the leader in this i'm like yeah well ninganu has better takedown defense and better submission average than stipe you know what i'm saying like does that mean he's gonna dominate him on the ground first of all word from eric nixig don't be surprised if you see some countering wrestling from ninganu but no that's not going to be the general game plan or outlook of the fight on paper um, so stats are deceiving as fuck, people. And the one thing I'm hanging my head on when I'm rounding to is not so much the significant strikes on damage, but again, folks, fouls. The damage from fouls. And I'm going to credit my man Sam Yang again on the Southpaw Pod. He asked me the question about COVID, saying, are you tracking Omar? Omar Morales is weighing in 145. Oof. I don't know how that guy makes it, but... uh yeah, he does not look happy about making 145. But we'll get to him anyways. Um, but, yeah, it's fouls. Uh, it's, it's it's fouls. You know, we're talking about COVID and, like, Sam was asking about like, COVID. Like, are we tracking that? It's hard, you know. Maybe now, I think, after a year, we can start tracking it. As soon as we start getting some long haulers back in, like like Chemayev. Not that I'm excited for him to go back, these people to go back in, mind you. But, you know, according to Dana White or Kataroff, they're ready. Or Ali, you know. Uh, anyways, um, but yeah, like we'll, we'll see more of that comes in, but it struck me when he asked, when Sam asked me that, because for me, uh, here comes worthy to the scale. Uh, for me, it's more like, um, what about these fouls and eye pokes, right? When you think about that now, um, and when I went back to look at it, there was pretty much just an eye poking trilogy, right? 
and Stipe, I believe in one of the fights it varies, but in all three fights, he, arguably the worst eye poke each time happens to his left left eye. And people that's why people were speculating, oh, he didn't see the right hand off the clinch break, right? Uh, which may have knocked him out anyways because it was a clever one. Um, but then Stipe shows that once he did know it was coming, he takes it a whole bunch of times in the second fight onward, right? So some speculate in the first fight that the eye poke had a, something to do with it. However, aside from just comically pointing fingers, pardon the pun of eye poke talk, there really wasn't much speculation as far as that for Stipe after that, which is ironic because he suffers multiple more eye pokes in the next fight and then in the fight after, right? Where he, of course, gets Cormier back. Cormier gets the worst of it in the third fight, so perhaps that's where the intention was. But when you look at those fights... It's funny, I know I say Stipe gets hit more traditionally with lefts than rights, and you're like, but Stefan Struve knocked him out with a right hand, and Cormier knocked him out with a right hand. That's true. The knockout shots may have came with the right, but if you actually comb through the footage, and you look at overall, Stipe is getting hit more disproportionately with lefts than anything. And that could be a similar reason to Cormier, because he has that inherent boxer-wrestler style where he likes the snatch singles, so not only is he dipping to the power side in a natural crouch, but he's leaning with his crouches because he's got the snatch single slash the snatch single feint. <coughs> Excuse me. In there. That's why, you know, John Jones called the left high kick um, because, you know, if you have that kind of a style from an orthodox stance and you're dipping to your power stance disproportionately, arguably, you're going to be open or run into more effective left-handed shots. So that was the reason why I picked Ngannou the first time, because even though Ngannou power side is clearly his right, he deceptively does a lot of conducting of traffic off his left side and can convert that into his power hand off the counter when he fights from southpaw, kind of the similar shot that dropped Miochik from Overeem, the southpaw left hand. Uh, and of course, you know, as far as the dipping propensities, you've got shovel hooks, uppercuts, and hooks for days off the orthodox stance on the lead side for the left of Ninganu. So those things will still be there. However, I find myself focused on the other side of Ninganu and on the other side on more of Stipe, which is the right-handed power attacks. Sure, we could see Ninganu measure more of the pace that he's talking about and his coaches are talking about with leg kicks, the man kicks legs hard. And he has been slightly better about mixing it in and evading him. His overall read on distance both ways have gotten better since his early UFC fights where we saw him getting taken down off of a propensity to throw naked kicks. Something to watch for. Obviously, not only did you know UFC 211 Stipe suffer leg kicks, that has been something that many of us have pointed to since when he fought Junior Dos Santos for the second time, but something not mentioned that I'm seeing mentioned again in the Cormier trilogy, uh, I mentioned it to look for in the third fight because he had success through it. And if you look at the stats, Cormier really had success kicking Stipe's legs either at a straight 100 percentile, depending on the fight, or at the lowest in the 90 percentile where he remained through the entirety of the tril trilogy. That is 90 percentile accuracy in attacking Miocic's legs. Where Cormier got lost is he started headhunting because it paid off in the first fight and he lost track in both the second and third um, and started headhunting. He got away from the leg attacks. So that's always going to be something that's there for Miocic. However, I mean more of the right hand, which, as you saw against Miocic against the last two wrestlers, 
against Kane and Blades. It was the counter right hands that put them out, as unorthodox as they were. And back to the eye poke with Stipe sustained to his left side. We all know that, uh, you know, say what you will about speculation that people were throwing about in the first fight. We don't hear much more about it, ironically enough, after he has surgery between fights two and three because of the eye poking damage. And coincidentally enough, if you watch the trilogy, Stipe, who I set up as to why I think he has taken traditionally a disproportionate amount of lefts more than rights throughout his career, that flips on a fucking dime. Come the second fight, and especially through the entirety of the third, every meaningful right hand that's both thrown meaningfully and thrown... You can throw it meaningfully and be out of range, right? But both thrown meaningfully and within range to hit literally hit Stipe. Not 9 out of 10. Not even 9.5 out of 10. Like 9.7 to 10 out of 10 hit Stipe. He cannot find a right hand that he doesn't seem to like because I don't think he's seeing them. It's very dangerous to make that kind of a speculation, but there's a lot of fighters that fight blind, whether we realize it or not. Um, my man Sam on South Paw Pod was just talking about this. He knew one. You know, it was a question on whether to bet against them because these guys, they got to make their payday. And maybe these year-in-between fights weren't coincidence. Maybe it wasn't a coincidence that when you... Go watch the the third fight where Stipe's I I believe is very compromised. That literally from the jump street, Stipe's corner is yelling at him like it's round five and or round one against Ngannou. Like the most frantic of situations. Like you're down, you need to win, or you're almost gonna get knocked out. Get the fuck out of dodge. Like they are screaming at him. And I know Cormier knocked him out, but he also knocked Cormier out. It's the third fight now. Like, look at the first 30 seconds of the fight. They are screaming at him to get on your bike and stay away from that power hand, Stipe. Keep those hands up. And that's not abnormal to say someone stay on your bike or circle away from the power side. That's not abnormal, folks. But the way in which the frantic of the corner is screaming at it, I think they know. Like I said, corners can tell you a lot about a fighter. From their ego to other things, what's going on with them. The fighter will, will, will keep his poker face till death the best he can. But the corner, whether they realize it or not, just by their direction, it'll tell you a lot. So I think Stipe is not seeing things from that left eye. Um, and so I'm going to go Ningano by late first round, early second knockout after what I suspect is going to be a feeling out process. But I do not hate anybody playing Miocic for plus money out of principle. I completely get it. He should be able to wrestle, and the improved conditioning from Miocic, some people are saying that it could be bad for him taking shots. That could be true, but I think it's actually better for him because it's going to allow him to do the game plan because he was dead tired too in that fight, folks. Like, And he wasn't able to really hold Ngannou down that well despite how tired Ngannou was. So I think the added conditioning is going to help Miocic. Um, good luck if you played him, but uh, my pick is Ngannou here. No play as of yet. Uh, Vicente Luque, minus 255. Tadden, Tadden Woodley, plus 215. Uh, I'll keep it short. Uh, Luke all day here. Pressure. It's like what? Like his second or third Sanford MMA uh, opponent. Um, they're going to keep him prepped. Um, I just don't trust trust Woodley, man. I don't know why I picked him against Usman because I, I swear I had Woodley's, Woodley's number forever. He just opportunistic the guy. He sits back in the cage and waits for a right hand as he goes to weigh in right now. 
And um, he looks smaller, by the way, and not in as great shape in these last few years. Willie looks so smaller. He does here, too. And he had some injuries to get through. I don't trust it, man. You know, you could talk about, oh, he's like, when do I back up to the cage? He's like, you know, these guys had me backing up. When do I ever back up? I'm like, Willie, you've always fucking backed up. You've always been susceptible to losing those fights. I really just think it was kind of luck of the draw, honestly, which makes me upset because my man, Karate Steven Thompson, baby, still think he should have been the champ. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, man, fucking fading Woodley, fading Woodley hard. I'm going to try to parlay him with someone on the, on this card um, who already weighed in, uh, Vicente Luque. But, yeah, it's there's going to be a couple scares, and Luque's going to roll. You really don't need much analysis there. Sean O'Malley, minus 320. Tomas Tominas Almeida, plus 260. Boy, do I want to pick Thomas Almeida like most people, and I get why we're playing. you're playing him. I always say where. I'm, that wasn't a Freudian slip. I did not play Thomas. Although, if he keeps going up, I will sprinkle. But the pick's going to be O'Malley. Man, I think people are hoping for the old Thomas Almeida to come back. I think that's the wish here. But that's always a dangerous thing, A, to wish for. And B, I was fading the old Thomas. Uh, I, was one of the, I was one of the first people on that. And, yeah, I might have been wrong about Brad Pickett, but I said Brad Pickett because of left hook. And what does Brad Pickett drop him with? Left hook. Sure, he loses the fight, but he mapped out the game plan for everybody else for me to cash on Cody Garbrandt against Thomas Almeida and so on and so forth. So if you've got a decent left hook or a left hand, you can beat him. Now, O'Malley doesn't have the best left hook, but he does have a really good southpaw left hand. And if you look at Almeida against his last southpaw, Thomas, or against uh, J Jonathan Pedro Martinez, um, that thing was landing at will. So that's all I really needed to see because I think a newer Thomas Almeida would have a better shot. And he was doing you know some stateside training, trained at a bit of extreme couture, but he only really showed two decent takedown entries and they weren't that threatening because he wasn't trying to run his legs through. It was like he was just trying to get the takedown in their head. And that's not what you do with O'Malley. You've got to go for the takedown. So he's going to have to really completely fight against type here to beat O'Malley, which I don't think he can do. Although Thomas Almeida, he would, you know, again, you saw to keeping people safe and Henry Cejudo saying, you know, himself, people figured it out. Well, Thomas looks extra good for this fight again. Looks like, uh, yeah, he looks he looks pretty healthy. Kind of back to normal, you could say. So that's a good trend for Almeida betters, but you know, the pick is O'Malley. He's a douchebag um, for sure. Like, God forbid, O'Malley, can you just... Like, that answer to the Megan Anderson thing, like, your answer is to remind people that, like, she lost her job. Like, I feel so bad for Megan. Like, has to get shit on and, like, like this and then get put on the same cards by the people that shit on her or watch, like... The promotion promote, you know, these people that just do not seem deserving. But it's nothing new, folks. I'm not going to sit here and complain about spilt milk. I judge these people as fighters. And um, so that's why I'm picking O'Malley here. Uh, but yeah, part of me uh, rooting for uh, Almeida, bet your ass. Um, Miranda, Fear the Maverick, minus 160. Gillian Robertson, plus 140. This sucks. And now I really don't blame people for blaming Robertson because of the line spread as asking for it. Although, if the line comes back down to the minus 135 where Maverick like opened and stayed at last time, um, then I'll play it straight. But I'm on Maverick here like I was last time. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt to Robertson's black. Robertson's black, but um, I believe her brown is much more applicable. Robertson's a wild girl. And against more athletic girls who can play positionally, she's running into trouble even if they're not as good of grapplers, right? 
So against a more athletic girl, stronger girl, excuse me, and Maverick, who actually has a really good positional play. I think that's bad. I also think Maverick's the better striker. I was a little worried about that after her eye surgery. And, yeah, she took a little bit in the beginning against Jojua, but you saw what the goal was there, and it paid off. And just the fact that she had the uh, proverbial cojones to do that after a surgery. You know, we see people from eye or nose surgeries come back shooken. It tells me that, A, she addressed it properly um, to have that confidence, and, B, that confidence is just a good fucking sign. Um, so I'll take Maverick here, but it's just that's the crappy thing about these rebookings is, like, you a you get a worse line always like what was that guy Romanoff right he went from like minus one fifteen to minus three oh five because the odds makers saw like what people like me and others were saying and they realized they fucked up so they get bailed out by COVID and they get to rebook it at a at a completely different line not so much the case here but yes a more inflated not as sexy line if you were a Maverick uh, cider and what also sucks is like you think like oh well it's one less fight you have to break down damn because you already broke it down like. Dude, there's so many fights. It's like Dunbar's number, man. Like, I forget. I, I you know, I wrote it some from a man damn stuff, but I have to, like, go refresh myself, you know, on previous writings because it's like, this stuff's not, doesn't stick in fresh. There's so many fights that we have to cycle through each week, folks. So, I got Maverick here. Kama Worthy, minus 130. Jamie Malaki, plus 110. By the way, uh, my line would be minus 780 at that John Anik will put a Boston twang on the Malaki uh, on the broadcast. Cash that ticket, baby. Uh, but um, I actually want to go with Malarkey here, but I'm sticking with Worthy because that's who I submitted for staff picks. But I do think he's live. Uh, I think I saw on the Twitter scroll my man Nick Kalikas. Shout out to Nick. He's on Malarkey. So good luck to Nick and anyone betting Malarkey. This is definitely a dogger pass spot. Um, he, Malarkey's super well-rounded. You just got to stay out of the guillotine. And I think he can grapple Worthy. I'll grapple him here. However, uh, Worthy's got a mean left hook, and Malarkey gets tagged up with left hooks. We saw what you know Brad Riddell did to his eye. I think even in Malarkey's last fight, uh, Faraz uh got him with some left hooks. And you could argue that Malarkey won that fight. I didn't, by the way. So uh, anyone playing Malarkey, I don't blame him. Feels like a dogger pass, but I'll pick Worthy to get him with the left hook. Um, Abubakar under Magomedov minus two forty. Jared Gooden plus two hundred. Man, uh, I was looking to parlay piece with Abubakar, but it just feels like a sketchy stay away, man. Uh, I'll pick Abubakar, but this feels like another dogger pass. Jared Gooden, I believe, is like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, man. I know he can strike it out on the feet when he needs to and shows all the tools to do that, um, like he did with Joe Bam. But the guy um, actually, I believe, was jiu-jitsu first or, you know, surprising amount of jiu-jitsu, just maybe not the wrestling or wrestling intention. Um... So let's see, you know, if he can just get a grappling fight out of Abubakar. Or Abubakar has shown that he can be submitted in someone's guard with David Zavada, right? And Zavada better than given credit for. But I think the thing with Abubakar, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's it's totally that. I get that vibe of like that Gracie feeling vibe where it's like, fuck, I don't want to do this, but my last team's Gracie, so I kind of have to be. You know, like you look, you're indoctrinating into wrestling and all that stuff because he doesn't have that, that fighter feel to him, that meanness, you know? Like, Makachev doesn't feel like he has the same athletic gifts or durability as Khabib, but their willingness to fight, um, he doesn't feel like he's got, like, a, a lack of willingness to fight, whereas Abubakar, I get those vibes. And, yeah, he's a master of co- sports and combat sambo and his accolades, but another one of the accolades here I found interesting is that as far as competition goes, he only has a silver medal to show, and as someone with, like, you know, aside from that, in-house extreme couture first place like i think like in nagas and those types of competitions like the best i ever did was silver 
and I fucking did a bubukar. I, I flopped. I have one of my best. I'm really good at top, and my best defenses is triangle. Granted, it was an inverted triangle, but still, I just got like inverted triangle in the first literally ten seconds of the of the gold match, finals match, um, and and I just felt so stupid. And I saw a silver medal there for Abubakar, and part of me thinks like, is this something that like what we saw Zavada? Is that not new? Or like the Pavel Kush, who granted was, you know, a, a scrappy grappler who was known to upset in that PFL series, who also submitted him. Like, is this is this a, is this a pattern here with this guy? Like, does this go back to that silver? Did he get the gold, and did he did he just fucking, you know, just sh shit himself under the light, so to speak? I'm not I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm a guy who kind of, you know you accused of the same thing for goddamn sure. Um, but if we're looking at things objectively, it's something you got to ask yourself. So, uh, the jury's still out for me. Not enough to pick Jared Gooden. I don't blame you for playing him. I will probably stay away as I've stayed away from this matchup. But the pick will officially be Nurmaga Madoff, albeit not a confident one. Next fight, Mikhail Oleksajuk opened at 167, now minus 155. Comeback on Modestas Bukowskis, plus 135. Shout out to my man Aaron Bronstetter. I know that's his guy. Um, I like Modestus, man. A really smart dude. Uh, well-rounded. His dad was well-rounded. They come from the more military-slash-traditional martial arts mixes. His dad was like a no-holds-bar fighter. Modestus did a little bit of that, also with the karate black belt there. Um, does a little, little Roy McDonald impression between the serial killer eyes and haircut to the jab on the feet. Really likes that jab. Um, pretty well-versed and well-rounded. It just, the speed and explosive athleticism is definitely not there for Modestus, and I think there's going to be a big speed difference. So I'm going to go with Mikhail. Um, Mikhail's gas tank and pace management can be questionable, but Modestus has an even worse record as far as been to decision less slash won less decisions. So I don't know if he's going to be necessarily the type of guy, especially with him not being a wrestler or wrestler first type fighter, the type of guy to exploit, submit, or tire Oleg Sejuk. Oleg Sejuk looks super soft and small on the scale, but that's normal for him. So I do wonder, with Modestus being really well built on the scale, I think this line's going to tighten. So I'm picking Oleg Sejuk, and even though I wasn't confident enough to play him, and seeing him on the scale and face-to-face -face might not have increased that confidence. However... I think it's going to do that more to other people who didn't look at the skill for skill ratio here and are going to go by looks and are going to bet this number down tighter, which I think means we're going to get some value on Alex Sajuk. So for me, I think I'm going to have to wait till minus 140 or lower to pull the trigger on Alex Sajuk, uh, but I'm picking Alex Sajuk here. I think speed is going to be the big difference. Um, Omar, Omar. Best character in uh, TV history, Omar from The Wire. Minus 190 versus Shane Young, plus 165. Big fan of Shane Young, man. I was talking about city kickboxing before people were talking about city kickboxing because I was talking about Shane Young. And, of course, there's Izzy, right? If you knew who Izzy was. And uh, the reason why I joke and say Brad Waddell was the best um, city kickboxing fighter is because... People were like, what about Volk? Volk only been there for his last four fights, all right? Volk's main main coach is George Lopez in Australia, and he trained with Malarkey. So Malarkey got to train with Volk, by the way, for this camp because his main camp's in Australia, folks. That's why. And uh, Shane Young was one of the first early guys for City Kickboxing. Even 
um, Dan Hooker came over there later to join guys like Shane Young. So um, I'm a big fan of Shane Young. Obviously, he's not like the second coming of Christ or anything. I don't know why I'm like pumping my chest for like, you know, watching him from back in the day. But just for whatever reason, you know, Maori kid. Appreciate my, you know, my Maori brothers there. Um, but I like Shane Young. That being said, you know, Ludovic Klein was a tough draw. I don't think that should be condemn him or his chin because he's never stopped before that. However, he's shown that he can be stopped. That was a bad knockout, and um, he's going against a big guy who has never been stopped in Omar Morales, um, who keeps decent volume out there, training at Sanford. He's got a bunch of kickboxing accolades himself. <laughs> Although, you want to talk about weird martial arts ranking, he's got a third-degree back belt and slam, a martial arts his dad created. But he actually went and did kickboxing stuff stateside in Florida. Has plenty of kickboxing experience stateside in tournaments, uh, pre, prior, and during MMA. Um, so I, and you know, again, training at Sanford with a bunch of wrestlers there. Uh, I don't think Shane Young is going to be able to get that attack on him. So uh, I'm going to go Morales here to win a comfortable decision. It sucks. One of my houses, fucking bet online ag like doesn't even like won't let me parlay shit right now for whatever reason i don't know why they do that someone can fill me in on why they're ignorant but i'm trying to parlay morales and luke for plus money that's going to be the play here whereas like my bookie doesn't even give you a morales line probably because the fight was threatened to be canceled earlier this week we're going to florida you know but uh so uh maybe we'll see but that's my play if you can get it and want to tell me you can but, uh, you know, we've seen how well my parlay... I think I'm over, I'm over on parlays in 2021, I think. So don't listen to me there. Um, Mark andre Barrio 125. Abu Azatar, plus 105. Um, my pick was Abu here, who opened at minus 155. But now that you can get him at plus money, I took a shot here. That is the only official play, Abu, just because... Um, he's actually the more... He's got the most accolades out of the Azatar brothers. Abu's actually wrestled. And Abu's actually competed in K1 to other kickboxing uh, around the world. Um, different varying levels, of course. Nothing too crazy, but he's competed. He's actually got the skills. He's not just like, uh, you know, some you know muscle-bound magma dude. Although, you know, what hashtag what's in the bag. That's another thing. Again, this podcast has been telling you for years now. Um, those Azatar brothers, very sketchy. Uh, you know, pouring gas on people, um, doing all these things. And then sure enough... You know, and, and also big thanks and shots to guys like uh, Kareem Zidane doing the Lord's work there. But, like, sure enough, now you start to hear people going, who are these Azatar brothers? Oh, they're pretty well connected, huh? Like, again, folks, you don't got to like me. Listen to everything, but I've been telling you this this would not. Fact number 100 in the last month that uh, w- would have been old news to you if you were listening to this show. So, anyways, uh, I'm going to take Azatar here, especially going to give me plus money just on principle. I know Burial is very durable, um, but, uh, you know, maybe you can outwork him if he survives the storm. Um, but I feel like Azatar is getting a draw at the very least because that that's the scenario he loses where he 10 doesn't finish him. And Barrio works his way back in. And if it makes it to the judges, I don't think an Azatar is going to lose, even if we're not on Fight Island. We'll just put it that way. All right. Um, Alonzo Menafield minus 290 against Fabio Charant. Was thinking about parlaying him as that parlay piece. Um, but again, Charant, even though he's taking this on short notice, like his last two fights were in LFA, where Menafield comes from. And again, people from LFA, it's a much stronger scene, obviously. And he actually won decisions in LFA, 
Whereas Menafield, who had arguably just as amount as the same amount of experience as Sharant did when he was coming into the UFC, all he had was pretty much like first round finishes, you know. Um, and that's the story on Menafield until he proves otherwise. You know, he's got to be more than a first round fighter. So that alone scares me to lay the chalk on Menafield. That said, Menafield, obviously, four to seven May, want them to do well. Menafield, obviously, will be the pick here. All right, how do we do on time? Oh, under an hour. Did good. All right, let's recap these bad boys. Hopefully, I didn't lose too many <laughs> listeners this week. Taking Ninganu over Miocic. Taking Luke over Woodley. Taking O'Malley over Almeida. Taking Maverick over Robertson. That's all the uh, <laughs> energy. Uh, to say that again, Jesus, Dan. Stay on target. Taking Worthy over Malaki. Listen for that Anik Boston drop. Taking Nermaga Madoff over Gooden, albeit reluctantly. Taking Oleksajic over Bukowskis. Taking Omar Morales over Burial Power Bar. Taking Menafield over Charant. Um, gonna parlay Luke Morales for plus money, probably. Played Abu uh, for one unit at plus 105. Um, yeah, it's, it's another dangerous week for betting, so uh, be careful, folks. I, I really do love you all. I'm so grateful for you guys being here. I apologize for the heavy intros last two weeks. We're going to be moving on ahead to more positive things, and hopefully the world will too. So be good to one another. That's all I ask, man. I love you guys all. I don't, I don't care what you are or where you come from. My DMs are always open for you, regardless. Um, just be good to one another. Good luck on your picks and plays. And always protect your neck. <laughs>